We're recording. We're recording. Whoa, what are you drinking there, Quinlan? I'm drinking a giant. It's uh, a little bit of grapefruit juice and a ton of very bubbly seltzer water. So get ready for some burps. Burps. Um, you look blonder and more mm-hmm. beautiful than ever. <laughs> Thank you. It's because it's snowing out. I came back from Florida yesterday and I woke up this morning to six inches of snow. And let me tell you, it's the only inch of... <laughs> growth by my bed these days. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> it's only six inches I coming near me. To, like, yeah, there's some a, sort of thing there. I was trying to make a I joke. Feel I, it. I didn't hit it. I didn't hit it in the bullseye, but I I didn't miss the target completely. And your bullseye didn't get hit either is what we're hearing. Amen. And that, friends, is how you do a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you so much for joining us. Uh, We're here all week. But really, we are because Carrie's back from her vacations. I'm back, baby. And we're going to get together and make some crazy music. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Are we out of practice? We're totally out of practice. Well, listen. Feels good. I like feeling unsure and afraid in most things I do. And that's where I'm at. You know, here's the thing. Not everybody's going to love you, and that's hard. That's all I want to say about that. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Not you know, every- no, I think that's actually a really good thing because everything you just said is true. I think that um, there's an anxiety about how we're being perceived all the time. I was just talking about the podcast to someone at the pool yesterday, Ugh. and uh, – they were like, I listen to true crime, and so I pitched my podcast. And immediately after pitching it, I was like, You might hate it. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. Totally. <laughs> like I can't, I can't help myself in telling people they might not like me. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I, I want to get there first. You know what it reminds me of? I've gotten really good about making jokes about how much I love to eat and how much I love food first, mm-hmm. so that nobody else can make a joke and it feels bad. Right. So, like, when I talk about my weight gain or, like, how my body looks or my boobs, it's, like, I mention it first so that nobody else – I'll mention being a dumb blonde first. I'll mention being a woman first. Like, I'll met, I'll say I you might hate the podcast first. I just want to get ahead of any negative press in my mind. And, yes, jokes at my expense are negative press. Mm-hmm. You know what's interesting? An uncomfortable I do, this, seat. I I do a similar that. thing, like – definitely very self-deprecating and I've definitely had people say things to me about it where instead of saying you're so self-deprecating why don't you take more pride in who you are or what you do or any of these things often the response I get is people saying wow you're so down to earth <laughs> which is kind of alarming I'd rather that right? than brave well <laughs> okay sure but when you're like shitting on yourself and people are like Wow, that's great. You You're really so know you. Yeah, like, and like, they're not saying I'm humble. They're saying like, you're right. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I didn't catch that. It's sort of, that's what I get from it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I which, which then reinforces with... the feeling of I should say it first. I should say something first. Yeah, I mean, I like to tell people, I think this podcast, I have a hard time promoting this podcast myself. 
because so if you're a new listener please leave please leave you might hate it it's if you've okay just tuned in you might hate us it's okay it's okay we forgive you no i think what's hard about promoting this is it's so conversational and it's not perfect right this is an incredibly imperfect podcast which i think is why it works but you know what's so funny about that now i'm picturing this podcast is us, right? Like it's totally, us because we're imperfect, which yeah. makes which makes it kind of a vulnerable thing to share. Totally, um, especially with a stranger. You meet someone and you're like, "Yeah, listen to my podcast." You're basically like, "Walk into my mind." House. Yeah, walk I into my cl- mind. It's walk my into my house. house. Is I have dir- clean. Like, my house is dirty, and you're coming in. I have a cube of cheese, and I'm hoping to offer you no wine. And I'm going. Maybe you'll like it. Maybe I'll be enough gonna, of you to it's for you to be stay. Because I'm going to offer you no wine, but I'm going to overserve myself. Exactly. It's going to be really uncomfortable. It's a one-sided conversation. Come on, in. Come on in. Well, but the funny thing about that is, you're saying that you do this thing right away where you're like, "Oh, don't listen." Be so weird if you were at a party and you met someone and you were going to talk to them and then you gave a bunch of disclaimers where you were like. We can have a conversation. It might be really boring. It might be really bad. But yeah, yeah, let's talk. Let's talk a minute. But you might hate me. But let's talk for, for a second. For the record, I'm dating now, so that is actually what I do. <laughs> Hi, my name is Carrie. Here's my baggage. You're going to hate me, but you might let's, hate you know me. what? This could end up really fun. This could end up really bad. You could hate me. I could not like you. You might not be attracted to me. Let's see where this goes. Is this I sh- boring? Am I boring Am you? Am I boring you? Is this boring you? <laughs> no, yet? you don't check in. No, no, no. That's tacky. You don't check in. <laughs> oh, that's you preemptively, tacky. Yeah, you say, here's all the things that are about me. At the top of the date. At the top of the date. And then let the chips fall where they may. Because if you check in, it's too much. <laughs> oh, that's the line we're drawing. That's too much. Is this going okay? Are we okay? Are you laughing? Do you think I'm funny? Oh, my God. No. Do that on a date. I'll give you oh, $100. Done. Done. I really Done. want you to do that. Are you having fun? Are you having fun? Is this too much? Am I too much? Oh, God. You, is, am I boring you? <laughs> that <laughs> makes me, like, nauseous just thinking about it. I, uh, did I tell you? I think I'm going to... Well, so COVID is here. We've known this for a while. It was funny. The last episode we just released, which we recorded like a month before, you keep coughing and I am dying in my mind going like people think she has COVID. (laughs) I didn't. Everybody, you didn't. You didn't. Quinn's had so many swabs up her nose. I haven't either. But maybe this is the week, baby. Let's do this thing. This is fucking it. I was just telling Carrie, you guys, that Co was playing superhero this week and he said that his power was to hurt people. And Which we can unpack that later. Nadine and I were trying to prevent him and his friend Ozzy from having mean superpowers. And we were trying to come up with nice ones. We were like, what if you could make snow? What if you could shoot rainbows and make people love each other? We were like trying to think of anything. And we were giving out all these ideas. And Koa got so mad while we were trying to dissuade them. He got angrier and angrier. And then he shot his fingers out and went, zap, I gave you COVID. So, you know, he really brought the house down with that one. You know what? I wish you dressed Griff up for Halloween. I wish you dressed up as Dr. Fauci. That would have been really funny. Oh, he would have been a really cute Dr. Fauci. He would have been because of those glasses that he was just that picture you just posted. Oh, my God. He's so cute. By the way, you're listening to Truly Darkly Creepily. I'm Quinlan Posner. And I'm Gary Epema. And if you are listening for the first time. You might hate us. You might hate us, but you might not. Is it worth it? Mm -hmm. Let me work it. I put my thing down, flip it, and reverse it. Your turn to speak. This will go in chronological order, though, What if we just paused every podcast, every episode, and was like, your turn. Say hi back. (laughs) 
Okay, oh, now like got- Dora the Explorer? Where we're like, <laughs> you want to Dora the Explorer this episode? Where we're like, you're if you're in your car or on your bike or wherever you are listening to this, there's going to be moments in this podcast where we ask you to weigh in. Where we're like, <laughs> do you think he did it? Couldn't cool. agree more. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and why do you think that? Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of that before. <laughs> Dora the Explorer. What would you do if you were in this situation? Podcast. It's working. I mean, I like this. I really right? like that. That's fun. People, and then it will feel interactive. It'll feel interactive. It'll feel like less one sided, which is two sided because there's two of us. <laughs> Come on, get real. But it'll feel less two-sided and more three-sided. Yeah, I like it. I like a three-sided coin. Speaking of uh, making a podcast with people, we would be remiss we if we did not... Patreonage. If we did not mention, there are so many of you that help... Well, not that many, if I'm honest. But there are a few many of you that want to help us make this podcast. We... Don't take it lightly. We take uh, your patronage. We take it very, so heavily. Very heavily. We It weighs upon our backs. It wakes us up at night. It crushes us with love, support, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. dreams of a better podcast, a better future, a better... Microphone. Microphone. <laughs> <laughs> better microphone. Our first If you notice patron, a difference, we have a new microphone and they think the sound quality is better, weigh in. Let me know what you think. Yeah, right in, right in. Um, our first patron that we want to thank is a, a doozy of a patron because is guess who it is Spencer not Diana Spencer but a big Spencer Spenny Spenny you're our lucky penny we made it a wish to find a redhead like you do, and do. then you showed up and all our motherfucking dreams came true guys Spencer lives downstairs and uh this is such a gift. He is a gift. He is a gift from God. I He's don't know if I, you know, the most I'm... beautiful man alive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you see him on the street. You have every to time I see him, he has a great hold voice. Your chest and clutch your pearls. He has a great deep timber to his voice. It's sexy voice, very sexy voice. Really, the sexiest man in in Brooklyn, I would say. Truly, and I live with Matt, and I so I you know I don't and say that kids, lightly. So I guess that's good to not call your kids sexy. <laughs> You're the one that just called my kids sexy. Well, you said I had lived with Matt. I felt like you were ignoring your two other roommates <laughs> that you birthed. And I just wanted to give them their, their fair shot. My four other roommates. Your four. I live with three. Three gay men and would a baby. Would you say Spencer's and a the toddler. hottest? Would you say and a husband. Would you say Spencer's the hottest of your roommates? Definitely. Spencer. Wow. You heard it here first. Adam, we love you too. But you're not a patron. <laughs> but you're not a Patreon. Do you think do you think Adam's gonna be pissed that Spencer didn't put his name on it too? So we didn't thank both of them. I don't know. We're about to find out. Do we just wait. stir up some drama? Mm-mm-mm-mm. Are things about to st- stop getting, getting comfortable com- and start, start getting, getting real? I said weird, but then I fixed it so I said weird. <laughs> I wanted to go along with you. Are things about to get weird? <laughs> <laughs> Amy, Amy, <gasps> Amy, 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 you join Patreon. <laughs> Amy, Amy, you're so famy. You're famy because we're saying your name on this Amy. podcast that a handful of people here. Do you feel famy, Amy? Elizabeth. 
That was for them to talk. That was for them to sing. <laughs> Elizabeth. Okay. Elizabeth, what do you have to say? Hey, Elizabeth, how are you today? Oh, glad to hear that. So I hope next week's even better than whatever you just said. But Elizabeth, we love you. Are Elizabeth? you a Liz? Are you a Beth? Are you an Elizabeth? We don't know. We are don't you know Eliza? you, but we feel like we do because we have space in our hearts for you. Okay, we're going to stop there. These are getting so bad. If you have given... Yeah, these are... It's a downhill. It's a slippery slope. Listen, if you guys became a Patreon subscriber and you're waiting to hear your name, just know that it's coming and it might be a couple months late, but like earn that, earn earn your key. Here's the thing. If we did it, we'd have a whole episode of just us singing and I don't think anyone would really like that. I don't think people would take kindly to that. No. Um, I think actually you're already angry about how much singing there was that happened just now. You're already rethinking. We gotta cut some of it out. We're gonna just, we're gonna edit it. Quinn's gonna edit it out. It's gonna be great. We're gonna be fine. Okay. And now, a word from our sponsors. Dear readers, I know you guys have noticed some changes to the podcast in the last couple of months. Namely, that we finally got some ads to monetize our podcast and feel better about ourselves. We are really excited to have found these sponsorships through Podcorn. Podcorn is a marketplace connecting podcasters to podcast sponsorship opportunities. And what we love about Podcorn is that there's no middleman. You can be a podcast of any size to be on the platform. They're not snobby. You can get on there. You can set your own rates. You can collaborate with brands that you want to collaborate with. And Podcorn supports you every step. And they guarantee that you're going to be protected and compensated for the work that you do. Their marketplace mission is to give podcasters transparency, creative freedom, and full control of how and when you decide to monetize. We'll put a link in the show notes so you can sign up for Podcorn today and start browsing sponsorship opportunities. And we just want to thank Podcorn so much. If it wasn't for Podcorn, we wouldn't have had the courage to try to take our podcast to this next level. And we're really happy that we did. So thanks, Podcorn. We love you. I love to sit and laugh with you, but all the games that we usually play, they're played out. I mean, pardon the pun, they're played out. We need a new one. I have them like memorized at this point. They don't make me laugh. I need a new party game. So I found one. (gasps) Are you ready for this? I'm so ready. Okay. It's called Pay the Price. The rules of the game are simple. You take turns answering trivia questions. And if you get a question right, you keep the card. If you answer wrong, you get a consequence card. (gasps) And you have to do some, like, really crazy dare. Oh, amazing. It's like dare if you get it wrong. I I think games are missing consequences, frankly. I want more games with funnier consequences for getting it wrong. And I think this is it. Yes. Um, So, and it's like a thing where... Brains are valued with the trivia, but bravery is valued with the consequence. <gasps> oh, I love that. So you don't have to necessarily be the most trivia prone no, to be no. successful at this game. You just have to be either you have to be either smart or really brave or both. Ideally, I would. L- let's play. OK, so what you want to do then is <gasps> go to pay thepricegame.com. You can get a copy. If you guys use the promo code TDC at checkout, you'll get 20 percent off. It's so fun. It's hilarious. You were saying that it's a great host gift, and I couldn't agree more. The best thing about having cards like this trivia is you can bring it and have drinks around the table, and you don't have to set up a board game. So play, have fun, and please let us know 
what crazy things you do. Let's do stories. I think it's time for stories. Um, who's first? I believe you are. I was first last week. Lucky and if lady. not, we're starting anew. It's fine. Whatever. It's been so long. Um, the last time, not the last time we met, but a few times ago, do you remember I did the Bridgewater Triangle story? Of course. Do you remember I was The talking? Bridge Over Troubled Water story. Like a bridge over water triangle. <laughs> Too much singing. We got the note. We're not listening. We're not so, eating that I'm note. I'm sorry. No. It's, once you get going, it's hard to It's stop. hard. So there in that area, remember there was some animal mutilation and I was saying that it kind of people's ears pricked up because they were like, is there some sort of cult activity going on? Mm -hmm. There's so much weird shit. Sure, there was cult activity going on or there was kids mimicking cult activity going on. What you need to know is that really close to Bridgewater Triangle is Fall River Mm -hmm. and Fall River had this major satanic panic series of incidi. Do you call plural incidents incidi? Incidi that happened. Um, I'm going to say 80s. no, okay. but you know what? I've been wrong before. Incidi? You think incidi is a word. <laughs> hey, dear readers, do you think incidi is a word? Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> Works every time. Um, so I um, read an article called The Gist, in, from The Gist, by Seth Boston, an article, a really good article in Rolling Stone. And then I watched this show on epics called Fall River, aptly named. One thing that's interesting about Fall River is that it became notorious a really long time ago because guess what happened there? People fell? Lizzie Borden was tried but not convicted. Oh, in, of course. In Fall River, yeah. I did her case. Yeah, yeah, I know. Early on, like, that's like episode 18 or 20 or something. That's an early episode. What the following events I'm going to tell you about, they're happening in a red-hot temperature that is burning over the fire of satanic panic. In the 1980s, there was a publication of this book that was since discredited, where this woman, Michelle, is talking about how she recovered these childhood memories of being abused in satanic rituals. What happened when that book came out is that parents everywhere, law enforcement, everybody is like, this is a thing. Children are getting uh, sacrificed and sexually abused. And all these things are happening under the umbrella of cult, satanic, worshiping shit. Okay. Okay, there's devil worshippers everywhere. Charles Manson's happening during this time. Fuel is on the fire. Okay. And then in October of 1979, there are, I think, a couple of joggers that are running by a high school and they find a female body naked face down under the bleachers. It's pretty close to the police station. It's crazy that this murder happened so close to there. She's been sexually assaulted with a baseball bat tied with fishing wire. Her head has been crushed by rocks. And Oh, my God. Yeah. The first thing they do is they take the rock that killed her and they send it for prints. They can't get prints. They can't find an ID for a long time. They do a composite drawing of her and put it in newspapers, and they figure out that it's a 17-year-old woman named Doreen Ann Levesque. And she was uh, she was from New Bedford. She was homeless and had problems with her family. She was on drugs. She was definitely part of, like, what we would call, I guess, a vulnerable population. Mm-hmm. Um, she was a sex worker, 
And what we are pretty sure happens. She was 17 years old. Correct. A child. When the medical examiner sees her, he's right away like, I think this is ritualistic in some way. Like this killing. It's so brutal. I think it's something weird. Um, And everyone's kind of like, oh, we know who did this. We bet it's Carl Drew, who's this neighborhood pimp. She was scared of Carl because, well, let me tell you about Carl a little bit. So Carl had terrible childhood abuse. Um, his father did like crazy shit, like hung him from a rope and lowered him into a well to get dead animals out of the well. Like he, there's just things that happened in his childhood where you're like, this sounds insane. Carl moved away when he was young, like 14 years old, like get the fuck away from this family and starts committing all kinds of like petty crimes, you right. know, like holding up We've seen convenience before, yeah. stores. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's known to be violent. He becomes a pimp. And the truth about Carl is that from what I understand, he was a shitbag. Mm-hmm. Like he definitely like was feeding the sex workers lots of drugs and trying to keep control over them. I mean, that's, I think, also what a lot of pimps do. I don't think I need to like speak out in defense of the pimps. pimps. Yeah. <laughs> There's an implication that he would drug them and rape them. Carl does say that everyone knew this and that the cops were turning a blind eye to it. And that Which one of the reasons isn't wrong. Well, know, listen, yeah, I totally believe it. It's a set of vulnerable population. Well, and the cops were coming after them, too, which is to say they were doing the shady business of, like, picking up the sex workers and basically giving them a choice of getting raped by the cop or, or getting arrested. Yeah. Um, it's a, yeah, I bet that never happens now. What do you think, dear readers? Me, too. It happens often. So... <laughs> There are rumors, though, that go above and beyond this guy's a shitbag and dip into, like, he's taking um, these sex workers out to the Freetown State Forest and they're worshipping the devil there. There's another wannabe pimp in the neighborhood named Robin Murphy. That's another one of the characters in this story. She is working with Carl, but... They have a really contentious relationship. They don't like each other at all. And Robin also comes from a horribly troubled background with abusive parents and that neglected her. And people are scared of her. She's tough as nails. And one of the cops on the show that was talking about her on the epics thing says, Robin could eat pizza and kill you after. It wouldn't bother her at all. (laughs) So that's Robin. People sometimes describe that as me as well (laughs) yeah (laughs) eating pizza killing people and not Um, caring at all so the reason that Doreen you would think Doreen would be working under them and that's the issue but in fact Doreen was like an independent contractor and that's more the issue that they supposedly had this kind of thing of like you better get off the streets this is our turf right and she was like Carl and Robin and she was like I'm still gonna work a few blocks away and so she's pulling money that would otherwise be in their pockets. So the assumption is they must have had something to do with this death. Right. Suddenly, there's another woman in November, a month later, that's reported missing. 
She is reported missing by her dad after she doesn't pick up her kid from a babysitter. She's 19 years old. She's a single mom, drug abuse, sex work. Okay? Mm-hmm. One of her friends had dropped her off downtown so she could work, and her body is found by hunters a few months later oh. in, like, a wooded area in Fall River. Is it the same sort of scene as Doreen's? Yes. Bludgeoned to death. Mm-hmm. Then the third murder we're going to talk about, the third and final murder, is a 20-year-old sex worker, Karen Marsden. She worked the streets for about a year before dying. She has a two-year-old son. His name's Joseph John, JJ. And Karen, like, loves her kids so much. But she's also super depressed. She's into drugs. And she's hanging out a lot with Robin Murphy, the female pimp. Mm Mm-hmm. And people say that they're lovers, and the thought was, like, Robin's so tough and Karen's so vulnerable. Maybe she was with Robin to feel that feeling of, like, being protected. Four months after the first murder, Doreen, on the evening of February 8th, 1980, Karen is going with the cops into the forest. She's freaked out and saying to them, I think someone's going to kill my son. And sacrifice him. So they're driving around looking for altars with her. And she's incoherent and sobbing and telling them she needs their help. And she's like, once Carl knows that I talked to you, he's going to kill me. She's really freaked out. Really scared of Carl. Okay? Mm -hmm. She says to them, I want to talk to a priest. And this is all what makes them be like devil worship. Right? Right. Because she's basically saying it. She's like, let me go see this priest. I really want to go see a priest. Please take me there. They drop her off at the rectory door. The priest comes and lets her in. The cops leave. They don't see her again. Oh, God. Two months after the fact, they find her part of her skull and remains in the forest. Okay? But most of her body's never recovered. So the head was definitely missing, like apart from the body. It's very dark. What ends up happening is that Carl Drew and Robin Murphy, who is 17 at the time, Robin is, are the suspects. Robin incriminates herself on a phone call to a friend and says she participated in this murder of Karen Marsden on this phone call. That leads to her arrest. Okay? Mm-hmm. Carl ends up getting charged with two of these murders, Doreen and Karen. But what the DA does, this is so bizarre, the DA only prosecutes for the murder of Karen but introduces, oh, you killed Doreen, and that was the motivation for killing Karen. In other words... So they're using a a, a, a case that there hasn't even been tried or That's convicted. exactly what I'm trying How to say. How is that legal? It's be... I mean, it can't be. Your it's dad nuts. has to... Let's get Larry. Why would the prosec- Larry, Larry, we think? need to understand. Why was the prosecution allowed to bring up a murder that there was no trial for and then say... This was the motivation because their thought on it is Karen had told people that she was there and that Carl killed Doreen. 
So the idea is she's going to come to the police and say, I have information about this murder. Carl did it. And I know because I was there. And that Carl, to shut her up, killed her. So that's the whole story that they're trying to tell. But they have not even proven the very first thing, which is that Carl killed Doreen. And now in this prosecution about Karen's murder, they're saying, well, clearly he killed Karen because he killed Doreen and Karen knew. I don't, like, I, don't understand how that's a, I don't understand how that's permissible. Well, so they go to trial and the cops are like, look, this guy Carl had a cult. He used the idea of Satan to keep all these women in line. Robin confirms this in court. 17-year-old Robin is like, yep, yeah, Carl Drew totally used Satanism to control the women and their money in their minds. And I'm going to tell you what happened. Basically, Karen told me that Carl killed Doreen and that Karen was actually forced to participate and that Karen, that night, she was killed a few hours after that cop dropped her off at the rectory. What happened was me and Carl and some other guys Um, We all got in a car. We took Karen to the woods. I beat her up. I ripped her hair. I threw her down. I did all these things because Carl's telling me to. Mm -hmm. And I was ordered to cut her throat. So I did. And then Carl took her head completely off. And then we offered her up to Satan. We did weird. uh, We did like sex acts on her headless body. Oh, my God. So she's owning this in court? In court. She's saying all this. At the time that this happened, there was a woman named Leah Johnson that was, I guess you would call her Carl's girlfriend. Carl gives her a ring, and that ring supposedly belonged to Karen. Mm. And that's a big moment in the case where they're like, Yeah, yeah, he had this ring, and that places him at the homicide. That even seems flimsy to me, but. Right? Am I wrong in that? That that seems flimsy. You're not wrong at all. There's no other. I mean, here's the thing. There's no physical evidence to put him there with Karen. So they're using yeah. the ring is like, I don't know, filler. Yeah. <laughs> for that, I guess. Um, Carl ends up with this shit lawyer who's never done a murder case, has never done one since this murder case. Um, and they end up giving Robin second degree in exchange for cooperation One thing that is weird is that when Robin lists the activities they did that night, everything, like, picked her up, drove to this part of the woods, did all these things to her, cut up her body. You know, it's it would have taken three to four hours. She was seen with Karen, and Karen's alive, and then she was home two hours later. So you're like, I just doesn't feel like you had time to do all these crazy things. Every time she tells her story, there's some little difference in it. Yeah. Um, One thing that this shit lawyer does not um, communicate very well is that the night Doreen, the first murder, Doreen Levesque, the night she was killed, Carl was at a relative's wedding. There are pictures of him there. The photos are suppressed by the prosecution. The night that Karen is murdered, Carl's drinking at a bar with several people who can corroborate this. He's totally got an alibi. There are totally a bunch of alibi witnesses. What they fuck up doing, the cops, and 
because like they think it's Carl yeah, and they, they don't, don't care we've to seen do them it. Where it's like they they pick someone, they, they finger someone, and then they don't let the go. alibi. They exactly. don't check it out. So what they do is all these alibi witnesses they don't come to them till like a year later, and then you say to them, "Where were you on this night?" And it's like on that Tuesday, on that random Tuesday. So it's pay with credit card, folks. Pay with credit card. Yeah, he gets sentenced to life. I mean, he's guilty. They, they, the charges against others are dismissed. Robin gets a deal. No, he gets life. I mean, no, no, Robin's not dismissed. When I say Robin gets a deal, she um, she pleads out. She pleads out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she gets a better deal than going through trial. I'm sure. Well, and and what happens? She testifies against this guy that's there for the whole thing. One of the. Police is like, this feels weird. He was part of the department that investigated. And he's like, I don't like this. Paul carries his name. And he knows that Drew's innocent. Like, he just knows. He goes, he starts trying to prove it on his own kind of after the fact. And mm-hmm. he goes to Leah Johnson, who was um, the ring woman, the girlfriend that said, oh, he gave me the yeah. ring. And she says, oh, yeah, the ring story is total BS. Uh, they put me under a ton of pressure. It was not voluntary, my testimony. They showed me the body. They did really scary things. They showed me the body and said, look, this is what your boyfriend did and tried to really scare the shit out of me and then put all this pressure on me. Um, and they were threatening me. Basically, they were going to give, you know. It was a know, coerced testimony. She, well, yeah, and anytime you're dealing with a um, someone that's that's – you know, they have ammo on her with drugs or with sex yeah. work. I'm not sure. But it's this idea of we're going to make you serve time maybe, too. So it's this thing of what can you give you us? You can go away if you say this. Then they want to find this woman, Carol, who is also connected to the crime. And they find Carol. And Carol says, you know, I, I don't even really know Carl Drew. I was around that night. And they didn't really want to hear what I had to say, which was that it was Robin. I was driving around that night, ran into Karen. Karen got in the car. We got beer. We got smokes. She said to me that she was at the Doreen killing. She was scared and said, if anything happens to me, look after my son. Oh. A John pulled up, asked them how much. She Karen said 35. He said, sure. She got out and got in the car with this John and left. Okay? Mm-hmm. She says she thinks Karen was coerced onto the roof of Harbor Terrace, not the woods, and that Robin pulled out a knife and that she then left. She says Robin did it. Yeah. Then Robin's up for parole. Robin, at her parole hearing, goes, just so everybody knows, I lied on the stand. I had nothing to do with this murder. I said I was there. I said I cut her throat. I said all these things. I lied. It, I wasn't there, Robin, and it wasn't me. Robin, your story me. keeps changing. Well, they're like, you know what? We're going to let her out. And so they're going to let her out, and she's out for seven years until 2011. And this is weird. Then she gets into a relationship with a felon, which is against uh, your parole. parole conditions. So she gets put back in prison. And then they deny parole, so then she's back stuck in prison. Um the people making the movie, the Fall River movie, go to talk to Robin and they're like, basically, they, they end up telling us a lot about her life. Um, it's really sad. Like, yeah. her her mom really neglected her and her brother raped her when she was 12 and he was 16, like, all the time. And then a neighborhood guy named Andy Maltese starts raping her. Oh, God. And 
she is starts doing like finding other girls for him to try to not be the one getting exactly, raped, yeah. which is probably how this 17 year old became what they're calling a hardened pimp. Yeah. It's like, was she a hardened pimp or was she a kid a victim, trying to not yeah, get raped? Exactly. Um, so oh, it's so sad. And another girl on the movie is like, yeah, I was friends with Robin. She introduced me to Andy. I got in a car with him. I was 12. I got raped. I went to the police. I told them they did jack Nothing. shit. Robin gets raped again by one of her other brother's lovers. Her brother that she has a few brothers. One of them's gay. One of his lovers rapes her and she gets pregnant. She has the baby. She won't speak on the movie about it because she's trying to respect this person's privacy. I want to go back to this woman, though, this child getting raped and going to the police. Right. So the cops are not doing anything to protect women, which is unfortunately an old trope. Tale as old as time. The movie basically makes a very good case for saying these Fall River police, because they were doing fucked up things themselves, had this habit of not listening to women. Then they start diving into this guy, Andy, that raped these kids a little more. Yeah, maybe he's worth, maybe the person that's been accused of raping children, maybe, it's crazy, but maybe we should look at that guy. I don't know, just a thought. Well, remember Doreen, murder one? Yeah. Andy's girlfriend. That's Andy's Andy's girlfriend. Yep. She was 17 and he was 40. And the night that she disappeared, (laughs) she was thinking, well, she was thinking of leaving. Right. Um, She had another relationship. Andy was really jealous. And she was like thinking of leaving Fall River, basically. Um, But you know what? Don't worry, Carrie. The cops are pretty sure it wasn't him because his mom says. Andy's mom says. She didn't hear him come in late that night, and she didn't hear him take a shower, which she probably would have done if he'd have killed somebody. And you know what Andy's daughter says? His daughter says, Mammy's not going to lie. She's a French woman from Canada. And you know those French Canadians. They never tell Um, a lie. What I love about that is it's not even, she wouldn't lie. She didn't hear him. She didn't see him. That's not an alibi. (laughs) It's really bad, right? That's not... That's that. That is not an alibi. An alibi so is after, I saw that person exactly after Barbara. The second murder happens. Andy goes to the police, and he starts talking Satan. He's the one that gets them on this Satan kick. He really wants to help. Okay, so and he shows up talking crazy, talking in circles, and he says, "Actually, I can see the killing. I can." see it like I was there. I had a dream that I was there. I had a dream I smashed her face and killed her. Um, He goes to Robin, who he knows, remember, from, you know, often raping her. And he says to Robin, I had a dream I was in the sky with angels and I saw Barbara get tied up and murdered. You know what Robin says to herself? They're not going to believe me if I just go to them and say... Andy Maltese did this, but I know he did. Like, he's talking about dreaming that he did it, and no one's doing anything about it. I'm going to say I was there. Why not? It's worked for her before. So she's like, guys, I was there. I was in the car with Andy, and he killed her. Like, it's a lie, but she tells it because she's basically like, this guy did it. Can we put him in jail so he stops raping children? Yeah. 
please. Yeah. In Robin's defense, I want to say, she claims to really believe, it's hard to tell, it seems like she really believes Carl killed Karen and that she just did this same exact thing. Like, says she was there because she's trying to... Because she's trying to give the evidence that they will not find. She's trying to give the eyewitness report that doesn't exist because the fact is, is she knows if they they did it. Which, I don't know if I would trust Robin. It's hard to trust Robin. She's not a reliable narrator. She's lying left and right. But this Andy guy is looking really good for those murders. Well, and the cops say... So we're meant to believe she's somehow connected to, like, these three killings. And she happened to be at two of them with two different men that did it. And the cop said, what is she, Forrest Gump? (laughs) Give me a Forrest Gump reference in anything. I laugh. The DA knew. Robin said to them, I lied. Before the trial for Carl. And they still were like, go in and tell this fucking story. And they're like, you need to add Satanism to the mix. They're like, she says they were feeding her the Satanism stuff. And they were like, get in there. Say it was Satan. Say. Lie on the stand. Total. Disbar those fuckers. Right? the, The film makes a really good case for. Was it Carl, though? Like, was it Carl who killed Karen? Right? That was that. Was it that case? I don't think it was. I, I'm not inclined I think to believe he it's was Andy at the bar over... that night drinking. Yeah, if he has his Here's alibi. The thing. I think it was either Andy mm-hmm. or Robin. Mm-hmm. I think Andy for sure killed Doreen and Barbara. Yeah. So he knew all three victims. Here's what you should know. Um, their hands. We don't really know that much about Karen's body. Right. Mm-hmm. But we do know that with Doreen and Barbara, their hands had been bound they were tied with the same kind of twine at their ankles and hands. And Andy had that kind of twine in his trunk when they searched it. And that young girl, uh, Robin's friend that was raped by Andy, mm-hmm. is able to say, this is, he beat me and he tied me up and this is how he tied me. And it was with twine. You know, so she's recounting things that match yeah. those uh, crime scenes. Andy lives directly in the middle of where those two murders happened. It's like, here's Barbara, here's Doreen, Andy's Jesus right in the middle. Jesus Christ. Um, and he has a history of being in jail for rape, of going after really, you know, young kids people. and raping them. Um, he went in right after Doreen was killed and said he knew a lot about it. He went in right after Barbara was killed and said he knew a lot about it, which feels very serial killer MO of like wanting to be part of the investigation. Right. Um, he's the one that told the cops about Carl Drew. He had a relationship with Karen. We know this. And we also have reason to believe that he had threatened her and said, if I go to jail, I'm coming after you. I'm coming after your kid. Uh, just the biggest she eye roll. was released on bail. Hours. Before Karen was murdered, he does not have an alibi. So he's so he had reason to believe that he well, would kill Karen. Thing. He had it's Karen's, motive. And remember that we keep saying Karen was telling people, "I'm scared of Carl Drew. I think Carl Drew is a Satanist and is going to sacrifice my son and kill me." Mm-hmm. 
You think she was meant meaning? I Andy. think she was doing that because Andy told her to do it, and Andy told her to do it, and he was the one she was scared of. Andy's trying to use Carl as the fall guy. And he's basically telling Karen... He's, like, coming up with his own alibi, or he's coming up with the motive for Carl yes. when he's planning on and killing And he's her. trying to make Carl the fall guy for Doreen. So Ugh. he's like, Karen, tell everybody you were there and that he killed Doreen, and tell everybody you're scared of him. And Karen's legit scared crying of and scared, but the person she's scared of isn't Carl, it's Andy. And then she's the dead. And then, and then she's dead. Jesus Christ. This is such a clusterfuck. And it's, it's because the police aren't fuck. doing their job. It's because they're people that are not requiring the attention and resources that the, they deserve. So he does end up going to prison for the murder of Barbara. He dies in prison of a stroke. Okay. As for this satanic cult. There wasn't one. Nobody corroborates oh. that in the end. Like, everybody relax. I'm curious if there is evidence of one period anywhere. Of what? Of a state. I mean, Marilyn Man. Or, oh, sure. Of, I mean, Charles I just Charles Man, think, not Marilyn Man. Well, Marilyn Man is a piece of shit. But Charles Manson. Manson, Manson <laughs> Charles Mansion from the gay mash. <laughs> no, Charles Manson. I mean, that was satanic. But, like... The point is, asshole or not, Carl was not a Satanist, um, and he didn't get a fair trial, and we do know that. Exactly. And here's the thing. The injustice isn't his alone, right? It belongs to the victims, too. There's all these false testimonies that um, got in the way of finding out what really happened, and the false testimonies were being solicited by the DA and by the police. And so the Innocence Project is now working on it, right? They're trying yeah. to get a new trial for Carl Drew. He's been in prison for 40 years years okay robin who they also really fucked up and fucked with and used at when she was a kid yeah uh they told her you know you go out there and give this false testimony and all this you're gonna serve 12 years okay yeah she went out and did it then she later was like it's not true anyway what you need to know is she since has served 34 and is up for parole this march Wow. And that's the story of the Fall River cult killings. Um, that aren't as cult known, killing. that are not it's cult just, killings. It's, it's basically this. I mean, I they make a really good case for Andy being the guy. Yeah. The, the show's great. It's a four piece, uh, four part series. And um, it's pretty interesting. Thank you for sharing that story. That's an insane story. And insane. It's so it's so wild to me because it's like the allure of the cult killings when really it's just one fucking dude who got away with murder. Mm-hmm. And so he did it again. Mm-hmm. And then someone knew he did it, Karen. So he did it again. Again. And then he used uh, fucking Carl as the fall guy. And even Robin was sort of playing into it maybe without realizing it which is so uh backward and fucked up when you think about how much she hated andy and what he had done to her life and that in the end she may have been unknowingly and unwittingly serving aiding and abetting but also yes. she was a victim of him again do you know uh, what i over mean and because over. she was she went to jail like uh yeah i don't know what to make of robin if i'm honest like yeah that's that makes sense it's really hard to know and i i think um she's no matter whether whether she had anything to do with the killing of Karen Marston or not, 
She was a victim in her own right, for sure. That's indisputable. Mm -hmm. And to hear what she went through this childhood was just so heart-wrenching, so monstrous. It doesn't obviously excuse if she did commit a murder later on, but it's, um, I was really It's tragic. Yeah, but they interview her a lot, and I couldn't help but, um, I don't know, really feel for her. I wonder what you guys would think. Tell us what you think now, and then turn the page. Now a word from our sponsors. Oh, good. Carrie. Quinlan. I want to tell you about Hydronique Hydration. Basically, what happened was that there was a frontline healthcare worker who was getting a bunch of headaches during the pandemic. And there was this research study that showed that up to 81% of frontline healthcare workers get new headaches. And it's because of their PPE. It's because of like the face masks and the shields. It prevents them from eating and drinking properly during their job. And everybody starts to feel like shit, like just tired, dehydrated. So the founder's like, okay, we need a really quick drink that has all the vitamins, the minerals, no sugar, keto-friendly, healthy, but everything on the market isn't what I want. So I'm going to create my own thing. And thus was born Hydronique Hydration. Remind me something. What was your um, resolution this year? To drink more water. And so instead, I'm just going to drink Hydronique Hydration. Go ahead and get it. You can visit their website at www.hydroniquehydration.com and I will spell that. It's www.h-y-d-r-o-n-i-q-u-e hydration.com or just search Hydronique Hydration on Amazon and they are currently offering a $10 discount coupon at checkout for this next week. So we'll put the link in our bio. Go for it. Stay hydrated. Thank you to our frontline workers. We love supporting this work as well because of all the amazing work that you do for us. So hydroniquehydration.com. Get yours. If you like true crime, dark history, the haunted and paranormal, then we think you'll like Ghost Town. Ghost Town is hosted by me, Rebecca Lieb. And me, Jason Horton. We cover both notorious and obscure true crimes. The haunted, paranormal, and unexplained. And the dark history of everything from world events to pop culture. There are new episodes of Ghost Town every Wednesday and Friday. Find out for yourself what Vulture.com called essential listening and one listener called a total waste of time. So pause the podcast you're listening to right now. And go subscribe to Ghost Town for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And at ghosttownpod.com. We're back. We're back. And Carrie's going to tell us a story. This story I thought was really interesting. It's a little convoluted, but bear with me. It's not that convoluted. I just didn't know. I didn't know how to tell this story. I think case in point of what I just did. But yeah. So this is the murder of David Edward White. Um, I got this information from New York Times, Sports Illustrated, Daily Mail, and KYW. So there's this guy. Edward David White, he's known as David, so I'll refer to him as David. Um, he grew he grew up in West Philly, and some things about him. So he's growing up in West Philly. He was a Cub Scout. When he was growing up, he would earn money by helping people carry their groceries home. You know, like really old school, nice guy. When he was younger, he would sneakily take his sister's car, and he would drive it around. And the way he got busted was he had driven the car to Maryland, 
and picked up a basket from his grandmother's house because he didn't have his license. And he came back and his family was like, how did you get all this stuff from grandma's house? And that's how he got busted for driving, (laughs) which I just think is the sweetest way. Yeah. At the same time, like in the 50s and 60s, like, you know what? People drove without licenses. People did a lot of crazy shit. They didn't have to wear a seatbelt. Let's move on. He would wear a fedora. He would wear sunglasses. Everybody talked about how cool he was. He would, like, swear. His sister talked about how much he swore. He would say all these curse words. Um, And he loved The Temptations. And his favorite song was My Girl. What's your favorite curse word, dear readers? Oh, Ooh, that was hard on my ears. I was expecting you to say that. <laughs> So it's September 30th, 1965. David is 18 years old. He's just finished working um, at a suburban diner in West Philly. And he had got this job six months prior in a youth corps program in the area. Um, He wanted to be a chef. He was walking home to his girlfriend at the time. They were planning on getting married in that that spring. So, you know, six months later or whatnot. I didn't do that math correctly. They were planning on getting married in the spring. He had a son who's eight months old. And his wife is pregnant with their daughter, and she's not born. It's September 30th, 1965. He's walking home, and he runs into these three guys who are members of a gang, um, including 16-year-old Larry Miller, who was drunk. This gang, someone had stabbed a member of their own gang, so they were sort of like out on the prowl, angry, looking for revenge, looking to settle the score. So... David was truly in the wrong place at the wrong time. He was met by these three gang members. They they assumed he was a member of a rival gang or whatnot. His hands were up. He's like, no, 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 that was not me. I'm not. He literally, wrong place, wrong time. He had his arms raised saying it wasn't him. Larry Miller, who was 16 years old at the time, shoots him with a 38 caliber handgun. They shoot him in the heart and in the right lung. He dies alone on the street. At the time of the shooting, he was unarmed. He had no police record, and he was not in a gang. In fact, his family has been like, he's not. He was never in a gang, even though newspapers at the time reported that he was really involved in a gang. Oh. He's a black man, and so... Um, that was enough for them. That was enough for them. David's girlfriend... At his funeral is so distraught, she tries to climb into his coffin. I mean, she's pregnant with their daughter. As a consequence of this, she has two kids now. She's a single mother. She was in nursing school. She had to drop out of nursing school to raise these kids. She got no benefits because they were not married, so she couldn't get Social Security or anything for them. Um, She couldn't graduate high school. She lost her job that she was working because she didn't have a high school degree. Um, She did end up... Four years later, getting remarried, she ended up raising her, raising David's kids. And obviously, David never got to meet his daughter. He never yeah. got to see his grandchildren, any of them. The night of the shooting, Larry Miller was arrested. He was arrested that night. He was 16 years old. He pled guilty to second-degree murder, and he was put in prison for young offenders. He served a total of four and a half years. Both of these men grew up eight blocks from each other. They lived eight blocks away from one another. Mm -hmm. And Larry Miller was a good kid, a good student growing up, but then he got respect in a gang and he joined a gang and he was going down this path um, and he murdered someone in Mm -hmm. cold blood. And in one that he said, I murdered someone who looked just like me, you know, and Mm -hmm. this guy did nothing wrong. David was walking home 
mm. to his girlfriend and his kids. Did nothing wrong and was shot dead. So he pleads guilty to second degree murder. He's put in a prison for young offenders and he serves a total of four and a half years. He gets out and then he does, he has a, he, he, he does an armed robbery and he gets five years in jail, which I think is something to make note that he got more time for an armed taking robbery. Things taking things over, over a life. A black man's life. Exactly. So while in jail, the corrections officers were, I think, a lot different than they are today. And there was a little bit more of a mentorship. Um, and while he was in jail, he ended up graduating high school and he was valedictorian. Mm-hmm. In his high in in the in the correction facility high school, and he says that they gave they provided rehab and hope, but he was still involved in crime. And then in his thirties, he turned his life around. He ended up getting a bachelor's degree and an MBA. When he was applying for jobs, he was interviewing for this firm, and they had asked him about you know his previous convictions, and he told them that he had murdered someone. And he lost the job, right? I mean, they were like, mm, I don't, if there's blowback, we don't want this. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. No, we don't, we're not going to hire you. And at that time, he said, you know what? I'm just going to omit it now. I'm not going to lie, but I'm going to omit it. Because typically on job applications, they ask for your last five years mm. of convictions or anything. And he had had none. Right. So he just omitted mm-hmm. as he applied for jobs. Larry Miller went on to become the head of the Michael Jordan brand at Nike. He also went on to become the former team president of the Portland Trailblazers. He became, he like rubbed elbows with Derek Jeter. He like organized fashion shows with Tyra Banks. Like he, he built a name for himself, built a name for himself and just became this man of huge success. All while keeping this secret yeah. From everyone he worked with for 50 years. Uh-huh. However, this year, it's, he's 72 years old, Larry Miller. 56 years after the murder, he decides to write a book and reveal his secret. Right. And does an interview with Sports Illustrated and reveals that he murdered someone 56 years ago. The book is called Jump, My Secret Journey from the Streets to the Boardroom. Hmm. I know it's a, it's a. I, I don't, I, like my mind is reeling. Yeah. And I, I don't, there's so many. Yeah. Ways to feel and think about this. Absolutely. Which is why I had to cover this because I just. It's a really crazy. It's re- complicated wanted, story. It's totally complex and it's complicated. Because your head goes. Oh, I'm glad he didn't get put away for a really long time. Look, he really rehabilitated his life and became a contributing. But also and then you his go, family. You David's think about family. that little girl that never met and her, her father. father. So, and yeah. this guy was allowed to go on to, you know, probably become quite a rich man and, you know, live in the high life. And meanwhile, her mom did. I mean, this guy should give all his fucking money to that family. He should give it all to them. He right. gets to be free. He gets to go to parties. He gets to There's pictures of live. Michael Jordan, you know? There's pictures. He, Nike has gone out in this book. Nike has come out and been like, we support him. Like, what an evidence he of criminal give justice reform. He doesn't all the reform. money to them. I'm going to lose my mind. To this woman that, that had, had to leave out of nursing, nursing school, school to raise, raise her kids. kids. Are you fucking kidding me? 
okay, okay, what happened? So this is all unraveling. The article that right I read now. in the New York Times was from November. The book is coming out this month in January. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, it, there was an advanced copy of the book, and David's name was not in it. And in the Sports Illustrated interview, they mentioned his name. And one of... What do you mean his name was not in it? Edward, He's like, so I killed some guy? Yeah. Like, Are they, you they, kidding? They didn't... They didn't they, it was, the family had was like, if you write this book... And they reached out to the public, the publishers, and they were like, if you write this book, you need to give a three-dimensional character of the man whose life was lost. You need to say his name. You need to say what he left behind and who he left behind. So he can't be an anecdote. Totally. And he is an anecdote in this man's story. As as to how it was expressed to me. So in the New York Times article that I read, it was a story of Edward David White. The Sports Illustrated interview came out where where Larry Miller told everybody that he had committed this murder Mm -hmm. years ago. Mm -hmm. The writer of it had talked about how he's a sports writer and they were all writing about it. And they're like, well, how does... David's family feel about this. Mm. You know, there's all this care and attention to Larry Miller because he's the person writing the story. He's the person with all these famous connections, but we're not talking about the, the victim of this right. crime who frankly did not get his... And how do they feel that this man was taken and this is the guy that took him and look at his life? Look at his life. Well, and also they were like, we don't want our loved one to be another black man without a story, without depth and without, you know, talking about how he loved the temptations and how he wanted to be a chef and, you know, how he was a Cub Scout and helped people with their groceries. You know, there's and this how whole he stole life. the car and got the basket from grandma. Do you know we what I mean? Like he has things. a depth of life yes. that is not, that is worth telling. In the book, Larry Miller admits that it was completely random. And he says he regrets the murder. He says, my regret for the murder would never ease and nor should it. And I will forever mourn his loss. Absolutely. That goes without saying. But the family was completely blindsided by this. Mm -hmm. The family of David, the loved ones he left behind, are like, he didn't reach out to us to tell us he was going to be writing about Which brings all kinds of feelings to the surface. Of course. So unfair. And anger. And like, like, he didn't even reach out asking us for forgiveness. It sounds like there's a ton of things he could have done right by them. Exactly. If you're about to put their loved one's name back into the discourse and bring up stuff, then I think you have to have that hard thing, have that hard conversation and you need to go out of your comfort zone and say, I'd love to reach out and talk with you and offer my apologies and my sins. Like, do you know what else it makes me think of? Mm-hmm. How when people go to jail for a murder or something, mm-hmm. they're not, I don't re- remember the name of this law or anything i just know that there's a rule that makes sense that is you can't profit off yes of a crime like that yes so why just because he's not in jail is he allowed to sell this book about a murder it's not well the thing is, is it's, it's not about, it's the, not murder. about the murder it's but about his life but, but it's still, still he he's gonna write about this having happened it sounds like just by the title of the fucking book it's a pretty important my secret journey from the streets to the boardroom i'm sorry but you might as well call it i did a secret murder a long time ago yeah here's the thing you did a secret murder a long time ago you're now making money on telling the story of your secret murder he's in the new york times he's asking the people that were affected and they're not getting money you are and you're already rich uh, I guess I'm going to go fuck you on this one. That's fair. I mean, I, Larry Miller talks about how 
he kept the secret for obviously years and he was suffering from migraines oh, yeah, and nightmares. Baby. All right. You're and so he his, on that. his I mean, I'm going to take the benefit of the doubt and think there is some owning of your secrets, I think, is a brave thing. I do think he didn't have to tell anyone this story. He could have been a man who was successful and did all of this stuff and not tell anyone the story. And what I will say, the benefits of this is that now I get to tell the story of David. And people know about this man whose life was taken too early because Larry Miller came out. And I'm not saying that excuses it, but that is, I'm going to look at the silver lining in that. And that his family was interviewed in the New York Times and they got to talk about their loved one. A life that would have gone completely, like, no one would know. I would not know about this case. This case, you know, it was it was a crime in the 60s of another that's... loss of a black man. And it was a blurb in an article. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, now it's, now I get to hear about this and know. I, so the family of David is, has written letters to the publisher saying his name needs to be it. And I'm curious, I wonder if his name now is, and they do offer because they had such pushback and they're, has been publicity about it. Mm-hmm. And the family's like, we'd love to meet with him. We'd love to, for him to offer reparations. We'd love for him to maybe put a scholarship in David's name. You know, do something. You know, meet with our family. Meet the people whose lives he forever changed by this senseless act of violence. I guess time will tell, but I really... I. I don't think it's too late for him to do a few things for them. Absolutely. And, and I, hope I that, really and I, hope that he does. There is a fair argument to be made in this book, though, about criminal justice reform and rehabilitation and realizing mm-hmm. that people are not the sum of the worst thing that they do. And there is redemption and healing that can happen. Mm-hmm. It feels like Larry Miller is doing a lot of one-sided healing when what he should be doing is reaching out to the loved ones of David and offering an apology, offering remorse directly to them before putting their loved one's name out well, into just, the world. They get all the profits on the book sale, obviously. Like, that's a no-fucking-brainer. Right? That's a no-brainer in a way where if he takes a penny, I think he's garbage. Yeah. <laughs> I really do. Like yeah. David's family, my heart breaks for them because they were completely caught out of left field Mm -hmm. like there a relative of theirs was reading happened upon the sports illustrated article and saw his family member's name in there (laughs) like imagine and then bringing up all of those feelings as we talked about and it hurts them to know that the person who murdered their loved one their father their husband is a hugely successful man right that adds insult to injury What's even crazy, too, is they were talking about, like, Larry Miller, so successful. He ended up talking about how at one point he met Bill Clinton and his background check came back clean. Whoa. That's so interesting. Why? Do they know? <laughs> That's No, maybe okay. it was years ago and they, like, took what he's done. He's over... like, the good news is never had trouble buying a gun later. <laughs> Well, that was never the worry ever. Don't worry. <laughs> That's right, baby. Right. To me, the case, this story was so compelling. One, I wanted to tell David's story because it's worth being told. And he sounded like an incredible man with so much promise and so much to live for and had a family who needed him and loved him. And I I do find this story of Larry Miller to be 
a good example of why rehabilitation works and why we need to not just put people in a warehouse of living and offer services to help people move on and do better with their lives. But all that's to say, I, Larry Miller is not the hero of this story. I think David is. And I would agree with you. I think Larry Miller should give all of the proceeds to the book. To, to his the family. family. Yeah, absolutely. To David's family. Any of you guys figure out what he's doing with the money out of did update. Well, out of did update. Let's well, try to figure it the out. The book comes out this month. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And All so right. I'd be curious, like, what edits have been made to the story mm-hmm. to include. Mm-hmm. I mean, to from like a PR standpoint, honestly, why wouldn't he? He doesn't need the money. He doesn't need the money, but also, like, why wouldn't he edit the book to include more information oh, about sure his victim? Well, we'll find out. We'll yeah. let you guys know. Thank you for listening to that story. Complex, yeah. but how would you tell that story? I'm like, do I tell Larry no, no, you, first? Do I, like, no, I don't know. No, did a great job. <gasps> so stressful. Um, you did a great job. I listened, and I you followed, felt things. and I didn't even hate you. <laughs> <laughs> That's always a pro, baby. <laughs> Dear readers, what's your takeaway? Oh, mm. wow. Okay. Sure. I can see and, that. Oh. 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 Wow. Okay. I didn't think of that before. Hey, guys. Thanks for joining us on another hot app of, of truly darkly creepy. That was Carrie Ipema. And that was Quinlan Posner. And, and you, you are going to join Patreon. You're totally about to join. You know what? I got to tell you guys that. Um, like, subscribe, tell a friend. Hide your kids, hide your wives. Do it. All of it. It's a long to-do list. Do those dishes. Sexist much? (laughs) What is sexism to you? That should be the end of the episode. (laughs) 